0: Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon.
1: Thank you, platform workers. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 36. The book of Luke, chapter
0: 36.
1: <clears throat> Praise the Lord. The book of Luke, chapter 36. Oh, there is no book of Luke, chapter 36. There, there's a Luke 7, verse 36. That happens from time to time, so please forgive me. Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. I was reading about a king who had suffered much from his rebellious subjects, those who were to to serve him, those who were to be loyal to him and faithful to him, had rebelled against him and this caused him much suffering. One day, they decided to surrender their arms, their weapons, and they threw themselves at the king's feet and begged for mercy. What this king did shocked everybody who knew him. He pardoned them all. Then one of the king's friends said to him, Did you not say that every rebel should die? Yes, replied the king, but I see no rebels here. I want you to think about this because there's something very powerful about being forgiven. You know, oftentimes I will preach from the angle of forgiving others. However, this morning I want to preach to you about being forgiven because there's something very powerful about being forgiven. And this is especially true when you and I have lived our whole lives in rebellion to our Creator. When our whole lives have been lived Contrary to the will of God, that when you and I surrender and are forgiven, that the natural outflow from a person's heart is love and gratitude. Now, the story that we're going to read this morning, uh, we're going to see that the reason why some people Love Jesus much, why some people are completely devoted to Jesus is because they realize that they've been forgiven much. I want to preach a sermon this morning that I'm titled Loving Much, because we have been forgiven much. Luke chapter 7, very familiar story, read with me. Uh, This morning, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask. So it'd be like a, a perfume jar of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For this woman is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other fifteen. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said to him, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came to you or since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we pray this morning God, that this message would be anointed of God. Lord, that you would speak to hearts and lives. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would be in this place searching every heart. God, I pray that hearts be open, God, to what you would do and say this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Loving much because we've been forgiven much. I want to look first at the Pharisee and the sinner. The Pharisee and the sinner. Now, throughout the Gospels, we read over and over about the Pharisees. Now, we need to ask ourselves, uh, who are these Pharisees? What are they about? What did they believe in? In short, I'll give you a brief summary. The Pharisees were an influential religious group within Judaism during the time... That Christ walked on the earth. They were known for their emphasis on personal holiness. The word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word that means separated. The idea was that this was a group of people that taught a very strict following of the law of God. These were the legal experts. If you had a question about the word of God, or in those days, what would be the Old Testament, the writings of the prophets, you would go to the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders. These were the legal experts. They were the keepers of the law. These were also the religious group that kept everyone in line. They were quick to point out your flaws. They were quick to point out when you were not following the law of God. But you know what else is interesting about the Pharisees? Is that yes, they accepted the written word of God as inspired by God. At the time of Christ's early ministry, this would have been what we now call the Old Testament. But there's something Also interesting about these Pharisees is that not only did they accept the written word as the inspired word of God, they also gave equal authority to oral tradition. They accepted oral tradition, listen carefully, in addition to the moral law, or to the written law rather. And they taught the traditions of men As compatible or equal in authority to the word of God. They taught that all the Jews should follow and observe all 600 plus laws in the Torah. Which are the five books of the Old Testament. And they also taught that men should obey the traditions of men. One example of the Pharisees emphasizing the traditions of men is found in Matthew 15. Now, this is important because we're going we're gonna to dissect our story. Matthew 15, verse 1 to 9, tells us, Then the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes were those who would write the law of God. The scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Notice, They're coming to Jesus in Matthew 15. They're not saying, hey, they're breaking God's law. What they're saying is, wait, why are they transgressing the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Verse 4 of Matthew 15. For God commanded saying, honor your mother and father, and he who curses father and mother will be put to death. Let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well, did I say a prophecy? about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what Jesus is saying to them is you have this tradition. The law of God says honor your mother and father, but they instituted their own law. And what that law was or tradition was is that they would tell their parents as they got older, Hey, I'm giving you this money, but whatever you receive from me is actually a gift to God. So, what they would it's so basically through their tradition, right, they were transgressing, they were not honoring their parents because they usurped the law of God by implementing their own tradition. Hey, it's like you know, someone is in need, right? Your parents are in need, and You have the means with which to help them and bless them. Right? So rather than honoring them by saying, here you go, here's some money. Take care of your needs. What they would do is they would say, hey, they have their own tradition. And that tradition was, hey, whatever I give to you is actually a gift to God. And thus they would make the commandment of God of no effect. The Pharisees were very, very religious. They followed the law of God to a T. And one other thing I want to add about this group is that the Pharisees also considered themselves more righteous than the rest of the population because of their strict following of the law and these traditions. You know, you see this even today in today's Christianity. There's people from all kinds of different uh, Christian groups, and there are some that are called, we, we refer to them as being legalistic. Right? This, this idea that, that you're saved by following the, every law to a T. Uh, and uh, here are these, this group, they considered themselves more righteous, more holy, closer to God than others. The Pharisees uh, thought that they were well justified and they saw no need for Jesus in their lives. They saw no need for Jesus in their lives. So now that we have an understanding of who the Pharisees are, now we can see why it makes this story all the more uh, uh, interesting because it is a Pharisee, a man of this particular group, who invites Jesus into his home. Verse 36 of our story tells us that it is a Pharisee who asked him to eat with him. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So you have Jesus and a Pharisee. And here is the setting. Jesus is now in the home of this Pharisee when all of a sudden this fellowship, this dinner takes a rather awkward turn why does it get awkward follow me verse 37 and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisees house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil now here is the contrast you have the Pharisee a self-righteous individual who follows the law, a strict following of the law, who follows the commandments of God and man. And this woman, who is the complete opposite of this Pharisee, walks in. He is a keeper of the law, and this woman is a violator of it. This woman is an unclean woman. A woman who is known for all the wrong reasons. This woman has a reputation. Many scholars believe that this woman was a prostitute by the emphasis on, uh, that, that Luke places. Hey, a woman walked in who was a sinner. Some believe that this was actually Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, as found in John chapter 11. So here they are in this home and there is this Pharisee, there is Jesus, and in comes this woman and crashes the party uninvited. So let's look secondly at eating at the Pharisee's house. Because here's where it gets really interesting. While at the Pharisee's home, Several things happen. Let's look at what this woman does. We already know that she intruded. She showed up uninvited. And what did she bring? She heard that Jesus was there. She knew that he was there. So what did she bring? Listen, this man invited Jesus to his house to eat. She knows that they're in a dinner setting. What did she bring? Did she bring cupcakes? Did she bring pizza? Did she swing? Caesars and pick up a few hot and ready's She bring coffee. What she brought was an alabaster flask of oil. What is alabaster? Alabaster is basically a rock that is soft and is often used for carving. It is then processed for plaster powder. The Greek word translated alabaster box in the new king james or alabaster flask in the new in the in the new king james in the old king james it's a box in the new king james it's a flask is in essence a perfume vase a small jar a vial it is said that during biblical times when a young woman arrived at the age to marry her family would buy an alabaster flask for her and fill it with ointment. The size of the of the flask and the value of the ointment was to display the amount of wealth that her family had or had acquired. So think with me. This woman brings an alabaster flask to see Jesus. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now here is where it even gets more interesting. What follows after her arrival is nothing short of astonishing. Let's examine verse 38. Bible tells us in verse 38, look at this. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Look at this. She wept so much that her tears flowed and fell onto Jesus' feet. Now, if you've ever cried, listen, I mean, you know, some people, it gets really wet. Amen. It gets really moist, right? It gets really, I mean, but you know, the idea is, is, hey, you know, let me give me, I mean, we have tissues here because we have this understanding that God deals with people. We have altar calls, people come, and it's symbolic of the Old Testament altar sacrifice and all of that. But, we have this for a reason because very few times, listen, uh very few times when people just let them flow because you get this self-conscious awareness, if you'd be honest. There's this self conscious, uh, uh, this this self awareness that kicks in. You're like, dude, let me, you know, how do I look? And you know, ladies, they'll come to the altar, they'll cry, and then they're like, Man, well, you know, they got makeup everywhere, and you get pretty self aware. But here's this woman. She comes in. The Bible tells us she stood at his feet, behind him, weeping. This is a and, and 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 notice. I mean, they. This is a lot of tears. This was a lot of tears. I you know, I can recall when I got saved. I remember I wept a lot. Like I don't know what came over me You know it it just Well I know right But I mean in that moment It was like wow I just remember the tears I was sobbing Very few times have I been impacted like that Since then So here's this woman Verse 38 She stood at his feet behind him weeping Have you ever felt so much sorrow Over your sin in the presence of Jesus Have you ever felt This much sorrow in the presence of God. You know, it is said that in the presence of God, not one person will be left standing. We use the imagery, right? We're all going to stand before God. But the truth is, the Bible says that there will come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Notice what she does immediately after she began to wash Jesus' feet with those same tears. Also in verse 38, she began to wash his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head. Get a picture of this. This woman comes into the presence of Christ and this is what happens to her. And this is what she does. You know, we can be so nonchalant. We can be so, what's the term I'm I'm looking for? We can be so casual when we come into the presence of God. And notice this woman, she comes in. She's a sinner. She weeps. She wipes. She washes his feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears, church. I can't, I mean, I'm thinking about this. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot. I mean, I don't know that I can even comprehend how many tears that is. I mean, think about this. Do you think you could wash your feet with this? I mean, this seems like a little bit of water to wash your feet. This woman cried so much that there was enough tears for her to be able to wash our Savior's feet. And then she wipes them with the hair of her head. And then, you know what she does after? She kissed his feet. Look at uh, also verse 30, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now you and I must understand this flask would have significant value and worth. And what does she do? She pours it out. She understood Jesus' worth, me pouring this out. This is amazing, church. This is absolutely amazing. What this woman does, along with the Pharisees' reaction—notice. Can I tell you, young people, something? I know the young people like to think that they're the trendsetters. You guys uh, triggered. You know that's the word. They get triggered. My kids, they'll say something dumb just to get me going and they'll say, I get triggered. This Pharisee got triggered. Look at this. Verse 39 tells us of the Pharisee's reaction. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, if this man were a prophet, He would know who and what manner of this woman is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. The emphasis, again, many scholars believe that the emphasis on this right here is communicating to the reader that this woman was a harlot, that she was a prostitute. So this man in in himself, he's judging Jesus. He's judging Jesus. If this man were, he would know this is a nasty woman. Who knows where those hands have been? Who knows where that mouth has been? Who knows where she has been? If this man were a man of God, he would know what type of woman this is. He would know her history. He would know how bad she is. This woman wasn't just a regular sinner, right? Because you know how many know that we, we view, uh, you know, the way people are when they try to adjust themselves. So, oh, it's not that bad. You know? No, this woman was a big time sinner. As I said, scholars pretty much agree that she was likely a prostitute, a harlot, by the way the Pharisees, or the Bible says the Pharisee thought within himself. And here's this man, he gets triggered. But you know what else is triggered? is an opportunity for Jesus to teach a lesson. Verse 40, Jesus goes into teacher mode. Look at this. And Jesus answered, and we're going somewhere, so please stay with me till the end. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Because Jesus knows all things. He knows what this man is thinking. He knows what this man, because Jesus knows. He knows what you're thinking right now. Somebody thinking, man, I hope this guy will hurry up with his message so I can go eat. Chipotle is waiting. I mean, he knows everything. He knows everything that we think. So he knows he takes this as an opportunity. He says, "Look, I have something to say to you." So he said, "Teachers, say it. Come at me." There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii. This is their form of, 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 of money back in those days, and the other owed him fifty. And when they had nothing with which to repay him, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Gosh, look at this. Look at this. Jesus presents a scenario to the Pharisee. And... This man correctly judged this scenario. Gave the right answer. Can I tell you something? Religious people always have the right answers. Now follow me, church. This, See, here's this man. This man, if he was given a test on the law, he would pass with flying colors. This is the type of man that you can ask him anything about the Old Testament. And he'd answer you correctly. He had the answers. This man would get all A's in seminary school. This man was a Pharisee after all. See the problem with the Pharisee wasn't a lack of knowledge. Just like with many religious people. And when I say religious, I, I that, that has a negative connotation. I preached a sermon some time ago on, that, on 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 religious people and how that spirit is something that can grip the lives of, of 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 believers. You can become religious, but his problem wasn't a lack of knowledge. He had the knowledge. He had he knew. Just like there's people. You can ask people in the church. There's people, you ask them a question. Do you believe Jesus? Who was Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. And they pass with flying cover. They give you the right answers. But notice what Jesus does immediately after this. Jesus doesn't highlight his lack of knowledge. What Jesus does is Jesus highlights this man's lack of works notice what jesus does immediately after you have rightly judged you gave the right answer then he highlights all of the things this man didn't do verse 44 then he turned to the woman and said to simon hey simon do you see this woman i entered into your house you gave me no water for my feet but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. The problem with religious people is that they have all the right answers they can take an exam and pass with flying colors yet they lack in the practical manners they do not apply their religious knowledge in practical ways notice hey you you gave the right answer but let me give you a list of things that you are not doing you're not doing this you didn't do this you didn't do this And so think with me, church, because here is this Pharisee that on the outside you would think this man has it going on. But look at what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 to 3. Matthew 23, verse 1 to 3. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat that means just like Moses judged these men are judges that's what Jesus is saying they sit in Moses' seat as judges Matthew 23 verse 3 therefore whatever they tell you to observe that observe and do notice whatever they tell you Jesus is saying do it because they have the knowledge they can instruct you yeah they're saying the right things. Matthew 23, verse verse 3, the second half. Cause he says, well, Hey, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according for the according to their works, for they say and do not do. <laughs> they say and do not do. These are bad teachers. I mean, they were good teachers, they were just bad examples. Can I say that again, church? They were good teachers, but bad examples. Can I tell you something? And this is for all the young people here. This is for everybody, but primarily young people. Listen, you can have, your parents, they might be good teachers and bad examples. Hey, it just, it is what it is. Just like the Pharisees, they were good teachers, bad examples. So Jesus is saying, whatever they tell you to do, do it, but don't do according to their works, because they say and do not do. So here is Jesus, you have this sinner of a woman, you have this legal expert, and yet the 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 sinner is the one who comes, and what does she do? She's crying, she's weeping, she's pouring out of her own resources to Jesus, and yet you have this other man who did none of the above. See, these things that Jesus points out were customary. They were customary. Water was given to travelers in order for them to wash their feet and get refreshed. Listen, because in those days, they, they were chanclas everywhere, right? They didn't have Nikes, right? They didn't have vans. They had, they had chanclas, man, wherever they go. And they had dirt roads. And so they'd get dirty. They, hey, here's some water. Refresh yourself. Come in. A kiss was a greeting that informed the visitor that they were welcomed in the home. And to anoint someone with fragrant oil is similar to applying deodorant. Hey, man, you've been traveling here. Refresh yourself. Let me, let me hook you up because, whew. And you know what's amazing is Simon did none of these things. You might be here this morning and you have all the knowledge in the world and might not be doing X, Y, and Z. But on the contrary, a person who is well aware of their sinfulness is so grateful that these things come naturally. It's the natural outflow of a person's heart to want to serve God, to want to worship God, to want to pour yourself out. This alabaster flask represents more than just oil. This, this is something costly, something personal, something dear to this woman. And she would take it and she would anoint Jesus. So let's close this by talking about the reason why we love much. Because you and I must ask ourselves this question. Why do some people why do some people seem to love, to have such a great love and devotion to the Lord? Now, some have argued, right? Some have argued that people get swept in fanaticism. Some have argued, hey, man, they're just in a cult. Some have said, man, they go to church a lot. They're, they must be in a cult. Others have said they got brainwashed, and you know what? Let me just acknowledge that some of those things might be true in some, in many cases, in some cases. Let me just acknowledge that. Okay? There have been some people that have been swept away with weird doctrines and brainwashing and all these different things, and there are some groups out there. But that aside, let's just talk about those who just have a sincere and earnest desire to really love Christ and the Lord and a great devotion to the Lord. The answer is actually much simpler than we realize, is that there are many, many people who are absolutely devoted to Jesus because they have come to understand that they have been forgiven much. Verse 47, Jesus goes on after he highlights everything this man didn't do. You didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. He goes, he switches gears again, and he goes back in verse 47. Therefore, I say to you that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Listen to me carefully. If If you are constantly justifying yourself, if you are constantly reminding people, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. Listen, you're missing it right here. If you're constantly, you'll never love Jesus the way you're supposed to because you're not that bad. After all, you're not that bad. I'm a good dude. Right? I'm not bad. I'm a good girl. Hey, I don't do anything. I never killed anybody. I take care of my kids. I do this. I I pay my bills. I'm responsible. You'll never love Jesus the way you're supposed to. Verse 47, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, a truly repentant heart understands the seriousness of their simple condition. Can I remind you that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? The scripture says that. Can I remind you that the scripture tells us in Romans that there is not one righteous? No, not one. There is not one good, not one who seeks after God. Here's a prime example of what I believe is a prime example of what I'm talking about. And I'll give you a moment to turn there. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Read this with me. We're closing. Come on now, church. But read Luke 18, verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. If you're there, please say amen. Here we go. If you're there, Luke 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves oh my good let me read that again this is so good right here luke 18 verse 9 say amen church here we go i'm having a good old time look at this also he spoke this parable to them who trusted in themselves oh, man that sounds like today people trusting in themselves in their own ability to save themselves. Look at this. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And despised others. Listen, if you, if you think about this. There are people that think this way. I'm good, but that person's a scumbag. That person is no good. I'm not that bad. Two men, verse 10. Went up to the temple to pray. One, we already know who Pharisees are, and the other was a tax collector. Let me tell you about tax collectors in those days. Tax collectors were. Remember, Israel is under is under Roman rule. So the king would impose taxes, right? And what they would do is they were they would hire Jews to collect taxes from Jews. So. The tax collectors were hated by the Romans because they were Jews. But they were also hated by the Jews because they were viewed as traitors working for the enemy. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. But on top of that, they would get a commission based on the taxes that they collected. So these were crooked individuals. Oftentimes, their motivation uh, for for uh, you know for being dishonest was uh, was was just money, money, money. So Jesus says in verse ten, the two went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Look at look at the two attitudes of people who go to church. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Just I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's listing his, all of his good traits. Are you with me, church? Sure, like some of y'all. I'm getting a little Texas in here. Verse 13, And the tax collector, standing afar off, Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but be on his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Think about this attitude here. That people possess this idea, like I'm good. I'm not that bad. I'm I. Right. There are other people they really need Jesus. There are some people they get dealt with, and, and, and their defenses immediately come up, and what do they do? They start listing all of their good qualities. It's a smoke screen. That's all it is, it's a smoke screen. It's hey look at this because behind this something else is going on. And you'll never love Jesus the way you're supposed to if you approach him this way. Let me let me share with you the doctrine of total depravity. I want you to say it with me. Say total depravity. Now, this doctrine of total total depravity Uh, states that people are as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve they're not inclined or even able to love God with all of their hearts, minds and strength but rather are inclined by nature to serve their own will and desires and reject God's rule. Depraved, the word depraved means morally corrupt. Wicked. So Total depravity is the doctrine that basically asserts that you and I are sinners and our inclination is to sin. That on our own, you and I, we're not good. We are morally corrupt and morally bankrupt. It is the belief that we are absolutely hopeless and that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Now, in his statements to the woman, several things are revealed. But before I get there, let me emphasize this point. Is that here you have a Pharisee, and here you have this sinful woman. And and Jesus, again, highlights this even further in Luke 18. That there are those who trust in themselves, that they are righteous, and they despise others. They have this view of people. where they exalt themselves above them due to pride. And can I tell you, as long as you and I, as long as we continue to assert, hey, I'm not that bad, as long as we go around presenting ourselves in this way where we're, hey, you know what? I'm not a bad person. You'll never love Jesus the way you were designed to love him. When you and I are confronted with our sinfulness, you know how you're confronted with your sinfulness? The Holy Spirit makes you acutely aware of how bad you really are, how bad I really was. So here's this woman. She's depraved and in desperate need of a savior. Look at what Jesus says to her. Several things are revealed in what Jesus says to this woman. First of all, this woman was truly repentant and expressed godly sorrow. Remember what the scripture says. Second Corinthians verse seven. Or I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Godly sorrow. God, what is godly? godly sorrow is not, hey, I feel bad. I'm sorry. My bad. And keep on doing what you're doing. Godly sorrow produces repentance, a change of mind. And that results in a change of life, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So look at this. This woman's repentance resulted in the forgiveness of her sins. Verse 49, and those who sat at the table began, I'm sorry, verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus said that she had many sins. Are you with me, church? She had many sins and Jesus forgave them. In this statement, Jesus reveals that he's more than just a mere man. Can I tell you, he's not your equal. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not the homie that you call when you're in trouble. Hey, pick me up, fool. He's not that guy. Verse 49, then those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? who even forgives sins man this guy and there's another similar story in the scripture but here's this man they're looking like who is this guy who even forgives sins this is more than just a mere man this is not an equal this is not just a good teacher he forgave just like the opening illustration of the king he forgave this woman because this woman came and was repentant godly sorrow was expressed and can i remind you that those who have been forgiven much the same love much and this oftentimes is at the root of a person's devotion to christ on the flip side some people don't have a devotion because they continue to justify themselves. I'm glad I'm not as bad as other people. I'm good. And what are they doing? They're trusting in their own righteousness. Now, let me just say this. The aim of preaching is to equip to inspire, to challenge, to teach. But look, it is also to bring people to their, to an understanding of their need to be saved. Verse 50, then he said, Your faith has saved you. She realized that the only way she was going to be saved from her sinful condition was coming to Jesus. Not the Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees had all the answers. They had a lot of what we call head knowledge. You know, there's an old statement that I heard a long time ago, and it always stayed with me. We were on an outreach, and one man, I remember he was part of our our group. We went with other churches, we were outreaching. I remember he said, Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. By 18 inches? He says, because they got Jesus in their head and not in their hearts. 18 inches. Think about that. And yet, here's this woman powerfully touched, but she acknowledged her sinful state. Listen, when you come in contact with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is working, you begin to realize, you know what? I'm not as good as I thought I was. When I witness, I tend to use the classic example of, you know, white T-shirts you know, some, we oftentimes, men will have white t shirts that we wear. And listen, you have a t shirt, it looks good. You're like, man, this is still good. After a couple months, you're thinking, man, this thing is still white until you get a brand new one and you put it right next to the one you've had for two months. And you realize, whoa, it's kind of dingy. It's not as white and as pure as I thought it was. This is what happens when you and I come into the presence of Jesus. Whoa, he is righteous and holy and pure. And I am a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. This, my friend, is what saves you and I, is our faith, our absolute trust in Christ our recognition, the recognition of our sinful state and the need for a savior. This is why some people love much because they've been forgiven much. But those who continue to justify, those who continue to trust in themselves, who do not acknowledge their sinfulness, They're going to love little because they're trusting in themselves. I'm gonna share with you a song, and it's a, some of you probably familiar. Actually, I know that some of you are, but it's called Alabaster Box. It's actually a beautiful song, several versions of it out there. Let me read to you the words. It says, the room grew still as she made her way to Jesus. She stumbled through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain, she spoke in anger. She heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, Everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair. You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I can't forget the way life used to be. I was a prisoner to the sin that had me bound. And I spent my days poured my life without measure into a little treasure box. I thought I had found until the day when Jesus came to me and healed my soul with the wonder of his touch. So now I'm giving back to him all the praise he's worthy of. I've been forgiven, and that's why I love him so much. And I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair. You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. Something powerful happens when you, when, when you come to realize, look, I, I am totally depraved. Listen, I don't forget that one second where Jesus brought me from. And it would serve some of us well to stop trying to justify ourselves. And just repent and trust not in ourselves, but in Him. Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Bow your heads with us this morning.
0: Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays,